So we have an occasion for comments on practice, how it's been going, or questions, or frustrations, why it doesn't work and all that kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, just a kind of, um, you know, if you don't have any questions, that's okay, but just kind of contemplate what's it, what your experience is and how would you express that to yourself? As you express it to yourself, does it all add up? Or do you think, wait a minute, what's that? Where's that come from? You know? So, um, yeah, take the time to have a review. So if anybody has anything right now, yes. You talked about how we create an imaginary world for our imaginary selves. Some people believe in the power of visualization where we can imagine a better world or a better self. What are your thoughts about this? Hmm. Well, some of the imagining, it was the kind of word that came to mind, but condition, because imagine isn't necessarily, what I'm talking about, isn't necessarily a conscious decision to imagine. It's, a, it's built in, and consciousness images, it creates images for us. You know, sight images, sound images, out of fields, you know, we have a whole field of visual experience and it, you know, plucks, creates images and then naturally a whole other level of impression occurs after that when I think about it, when I feel about it. So um, I think um, in terms of uh, imagining for the better, that's more to do with asp aspiration. So um, that's not really an action of sense consciousness, you see, that's an action of heart. So it's a it's a valid a valid imagination. You see what I mean? Because it's not something that kind of a, is a reactive, automatic thing that's built upon passion. Like that really excites me, or that disappoints me. But it's a sense of what I feel. You know, I get that, and then holding that, and how can that kind of express itself? That's the way I'd see it. And the first expression isn't really, you know, I'm going to fix this, that, and the other. It's going to be something like well-being, love, help, compassion, caring. It's going to be that kind of pretty formless, just the sense of to do the good. And then you just see where that can land, where, where that can actually crystallize. Because, um, you know, don't jump too fast on it, my recommendation. Thank you. When you talk about mind, is that the brain? And is consciousness different from the mind or the same? Mm. Well, yeah, there's a whole... These words are quite uh, slippery. It's different uh, cultures and different sciences and different languages have different references to them. In, in Buddha Dharma you have two references for mind. One is called manas and one is called citta. Manas is linked to consciousness. Jitta is something separate. Now consciousness in, in this sense is the discerning of sensory phenomena. It's not awareness. It means sight consciousness creates a visual object. Right? 
So auditory consciousness picks up auditory signals. And mind consciousness picks up concepts, symbols, ideas. It picks up that on the clock means quarter past three. That's what, you know, there's a visual impression, but the mind interprets that. That's mind consciousness. So consciousness is basically the um, transmitter of signals and the interpreter of signals. Uh, When a body arises in the world, you know, as it comes into form from an from an embryonic state, you know, all this sense consciousness kind of unfolds with birth. And so in the world we don't have sight, we don't think, we have maybe tactile. So the body produces this, these sense fields to navigate in this particular territory. And that's called sense consciousness. Yeah. And mind is exceptionally um, valid or exceptionally active in creating things that are not here, that might be here. That's why we're so um, so powerful because we can think of the future which isn't here. You know, so we can create plans and ideas. That's all mind. Now, chitta is much more primary than that. It's the sense of being affected, being touched, rejoicing, being depressed. So that technically isn't really consciousness. It's chitta. And so this is the way that that's termed. You use the word heart, but you don't use the word brain, do you? <laughs> I didn't use the word brain. And heart, I didn't actually mean the flesh organ. I meant it as a, as a, um, just a quick grab a word, you know, the, the agent or the, the of, um, of sensitivity. And because um, really, I don't know if I've got a brain. You know, I mean, when they first found these brains, I thought, what's this load of slop inside a skull? What's that do? <laughs> it's only when they go, oh, it's, hey, it's something to do with thinking. <laughs> so right now, I don't know I've got a brain. <laughs> I know it's thinking, but where that comes from, I couldn't be sure. So same with, with Chitra's heart. I don't actually know I've got a heart. But I know I feel things and sense things and have intuitions and joys and passions and all that kind of stuff. So you dig in so in this territory of what we call meditation, we're looking at absolutely direct experience and let go of the inferences. You know? Do you have a liver? I won't be sure. You know? But you do have health. <laughs> so that's a kind of stream, it's a sort of disciplined reductionism to just speak the truth as it's appearing now. And that's, um, that's, that's, that's one of the skills. Because then a lot of assumptions and historically bred in assumptions, you know, where's that going? And then you can really recognize, if I hold that assumption, what's the feeling of that? Does it lead to benefit or not? A lot of assumptions lead to stress. I should be, I could be. People think this of me, I'm not one of those. Don't carry that around. You know what I mean? So those, those, those these are the sort of 
assumed inferences that are what I call our psychological environment. You see what I mean? And that's all hovers around the heart, around the chitta, and it's uh, it's a kind of dialogue between the chitta and and the manal vinyana, the mind consciousness. Chitta feels kind of vaguely uneasy, unhappy, and the mind goes, "This is because this happened." Da, 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 da. All right, <laughs> you know, because I'm one of these, and you know, the mind interprets it. Actually, the feeling is. Perhaps you just need Nalka Salsa, you know. And so this is not just being dismissive of the feeling, but actually the interpretation doesn't necessarily produce a remedy. Whereas directly uneasy, unhappy, uncomfortable. Where's that? Let's get some balance in here, steadier. Oh, yeah, feeling quite annoyed. Oh, right, what's happening here? It's chill, cool. It begins to, yeah, you might recognize because of this, that, and the other, which is good to know as a, as a prognosis, you know. Like, okay, therefore don't do that in the future. Don't be with her in the future because this is what happens. But then right now I've got to deal with this. And she, that's not going to deal with it. And my interpretations of why are not going to deal with it. But my interpretations of how it feels, there's a possibility of remedy there because then if I apply something like calm, kindness, compassion, breathing, Maybe that will cause it to subside. We come out of the psychological environment, which um, often builds up over over a lifetime, but one can be carrying a whole load of narratives that might have been useful 20 years ago, but have actually finished now. And they're still stuck there. You know, we don't want to be just living, we don't want to be living history, we want to be living fresh. Achan, you were saying there's no external, nothing out there, so there's no distinction between you and I. Is that to say there's just a oneness? Um, like, you know, I'm not, I can't always be clear about what I say, language things. But, um, you know, the, the experience we have of the external, put it that way, the experience we have called external is highly conjured, conditioned. Mm. Right? And the experience we have of the internal called myself is also highly conjured and conditioned. The experience we have called somebody else is highly conjured and conditioned. Yeah. Now, if the conjuring condition stops, <laughs> What's left? You, me, oneness, what? There's kind of space, there's sensitivity, there's openness. And then perhaps then we, something can, less boundary can be experienced. But I don't think it means that you and I are one. 
it means the experience of you and I that I'm having and you're having could actually be which happens at times you know when people really have that moment of meeting somebody really meeting and you know the boundaries drop and they're just feeling joy and oh that's lovely and then oh excuse me is that right? you know <laughs> then the self comes up again the boundaries come up again so the moment of meeting there's no separation What I've understood is nothing is permanent and everything is changeable, but is the chitta permanent or changeable? The chitta is it permanent? Um, I wouldn't say that. What you experience as chitta is a continual vibrant, trembling intelligence, sensitivity. Uh, Now, (laughs) there are... (laughs) In deep practices, that that vibrant intelligence, sensitivity, it was nothing to get stirred by, nothing to get wary about, nothing to be contained by, nothing to hold on to. Uh, that which we call citta, just kind of dissolves. Mm. You know, if, if it's something that's kind of constantly like this, right? It's because it's being stimulated either negatively or positively. If it's in here, it means it's constrained by something. If it's not constrained and not holding on to anything, there's no way you, you can't measure that as permanent or impermanent. It's just it's gone out of measurement. And that's the way the Buddha described it, as you can't, me- you can't measure it. Yeah. And it's, it's more appropriate than permanent. Because mm. if there's no time, there's no permanence or impermanence. I have a question about aversion and beauty. A friend said her response to a car alarm was the same as her response to birdsong. This seems so strange to me. Where is the place for beauty in this? Yeah, it's... Um, mm, mm, mm. Yeah. I, am, I wouldn't... Um, I don't know if this is a friend of yours, her experience, obviously, but I wouldn't recommend it. Because sometimes if you have an alarm signal going off, it's good to jump, and not just to stand and listen. <laughs> oh, that's a pretty sound. <laughs> That's these some kind of you have to impose rel- relative standards. You can't go to an absolute uh, absolutism on consciousness. Con- consciousness is always relative, <laughs> but you can know. Oh, this is the experience of being stirred, being aroused. Right? This is what this means. Uh huh. And now is the time to move. Yeah. In walking meditation or any movement. Is the practice to feel the movement and sense what your mind is doing with that experience? This seems very complex and very external. Does my question make sense? Well, I'll say something about it and then please come back to me if I'm not hitting the point. Um, With movement, uh, we're exploring um, the effects of movement. Mm 
We're on the lookout for um, when is movement not uh, harmonious or flowing, so it's jumpy or, or scattered. Yeah? Does the whole body feel the movement? So if I'm moving my legs, they also feel some resonance in my back. Yeah? So because of the movement, the energy of the movement should spread over the whole body. Mm. Um, so that's the internal aspect of it, is the movement full and complete and allowed to, to flow, or do we push it? So often we might push movement, get that, neck, that, 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 the jumping. So to allow, to flow movement, let movement flow and rolling. And we might say externally, including uh, psychologically, um, when we're moving, we may experience, first of all, visual phenomena that, that distract us or pull us out, or sounds pull us out. More likely, what experiences psychological phenomena, such as sense of agency or loss of purpose. What am I doing? I'm not going anywhere useful. That sense can come up. So you're, you're touching, okay, that has to be moved through. Yeah. And then also sometimes a slight defense system that occurs when we move through space. The body sort of closes against that's another psychological piece of territory. We sort of close the body down against being touched by anything because the body's tactile. So there's that closure. I actually don't need to do that. So those are a couple of examples of things to contemplate when we're moving. And could you come back to me on that? And Yes, that's very helpful. Thank you. Mm. And very commonly what is experienced without necessarily being named is the head is somehow separate from the rest of the body. The body's walking along, the head's kind of watching it. And that, that's something that, this is huge disconnect between this bit and that bit. And they're not disconnected. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so often the movement stops here. And here it is, what's going on here? And so that, that's a that's very uh, uh, fundamental piece of fragmentation. Uh, and it's problematic because this is most where the senses are, you know, based around these areas. So this is where if, we, if the head separates, then it's so easy to go out through the eyes. So we want to actually peel here, open this, and really bring back the connection. So that impression, that image I had of the of the fountain and the ball. So try to contemplate as you walk. Try to contemplate the, the whole head, not the face, but the whole head. There's this kind of bony, silly, weighty thing sitting on top of the neck. So as I move, you know, I can feel this slight swinging here. You know, as you're not doing that, you're generally doing that. If you have a very light flexion here, there was the, that light, very light fluid swinging. It's light, so it's it's soft massage. Yeah, and if we keep relaxing, you know, really at this area, the floor of the mouth, the jaw, and then the eyes have to be relaxed because they're very dominant sense organ. So we keep them quite soft because they. Even the, even the muscles around the eyes 
keep this soft so you're like a kind of slightly early morning goo what's going on or gaze soften and soften this because this is where we do all our thinking <laughs> now if this softens and this softens it's quite difficult to think <laughs> so that that's great you know because you don't really need to think <laughs> when you're walking along <laughs> and you don't need an identity to, to walk <laughs> the identity is, well, it's many layers, but the, of the dominant layer of it is, is the conceiving of the mind. I am, I should, I wish I was, where's happening here, going, you know. That's the dominant surface of our identity is that. So if that can all relax, I don't need to define how I am. That's great, because if we don't need to define ourselves as anything, that, that sense of ease means that whatever is sort of not so comfortable, uncomfortable in the bodily domain doesn't matter because basically I'm just enjoying not having to be anybody (laughs) because that that goes straight to the heart you see some thought patterns that arise can appear like some kind of karmic knot they arise, I'm aware of it they're not comfortable and yet I keep going into them can you comment please? (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> isn't that strange <laughs> this is not a rational logical process it's it's a habit you know like any other like an almost like you so call it a habit an addiction then you realize this is this is an addiction addictions don't stop through understanding they're doing you harm you have to do something more radical than that you know so first of all, I think the uh, strategies I tend to use is, well, there's, the, there's the, the thoughts which seem to appear mostly as kind of emotionally charged word fragments, with little bits of story around them, like voices. They never... But I said... This kind of stuff. <laughs> and then... And okay, there's that, like a, some little creature stuck in your head. You know? So first of all, that's that rather than me. That's a, that's a psychological fragment. Uh, first we need to, okay, hello, a little creature. You know, so this sort of sense of dispassion towards it. And then, you know, so it's not myself, it's just this thing going on. Okay, a little bit of, what's, what do you need? What's, what's, what's comfortable here? And that's a nice approach. Because you relate to it rather than fight with it or follow it. You relate to it. You relate to it, then, okay, in all this kind of turbulence of da 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 what's the overall feeling? Is it complaining? Irritated? Is it regretful? Is it craving? Is it just restless bubble, bubble, bubble? You know, so just get, you get down to the one word that covers that. This is... Uh, you know, regret. You, know, you say the does that fit? You say the word regret. Regret. I wish I, I wish I regret. Yeah, that's it. Because when you get the right word, it you get it. Oh, now you've got it in a place where you can work with it. This is regret. 
opening to regret. Past is past, we're here now. Just kind of holding that very kindly as something like a wounded being, hurt, you know. Relating to a life, so a lot of meta practice, gently holding it. Everybody gets this. It's not just you. Everybody gets this. It's not self. And, and what does this need? It needs to be listened to. It needs to. If you can feel it somewhere in your body, expand your body around it, rather than trying to close it down and nature will take its course. Things will work themselves out. The other week someone close to me was given months or even weeks to live. What can I offer them to support balance in their situation? Well, all you can offer is um, sympathy, and uh, not looking down upon, not dismissing what they're feeling. But it is actually an occasion where one is probably closest to finding balance in some respect, if you have the dumber understanding. Probably most of us think we're going to live until tomorrow. If we thought this was our last day, you think, right, Forget that, drop that, don't worry about that. <laughs> Bring up what's good, stay with that. You'd come right into line. <laughs> you know, get past the fear and the agitation and the, who's going to do the washing. And I think, okay, right. It's never going to get done, is it? It's never going to get done. It's never going to get fixed. It's never this, you, all that, it's never going to end. What, so you, then you come into balance, alignment. So on psychological level, that's that's the that's the direction, and you try to arrange the physical conditions to something whereby um, you know person can manage it. Person can manage it. And the encouragement would be to um, let go of any regrets and whatever it takes to do that to fully express whatever needs to be expressed, to um, be thankful for the gift of life, and to um, put aside fear. You know? And though it's, you're, not, you're not dead until you're dead. All of us are right in the centre of our lives. In the centre of our life, it's the centre one edge of it is death, the other edge of it is birth. No matter how old or young you are, you're right on the edge of death. You think you're not, but you are. You know, a truck, you know, it could happen at any moment. You know? So actually we are right on the edge of it, but we think we're not. If you remember that, or bear that in mind, that really brings you into balance. Okay. Because you're not fooling around, but at the same time, there's no point locking up freezing. That's not going to do you any good. 
that's not going to push the boundaries any further. So instead, we, you've got a breath, you've got a moment. Let's be that, let's be that, that's all we got, that's all we got, let's be that. That's all we have. Death is an ego experience. I mean, yeah, you know, you say, well, he's dead, his body's breaking up. He doesn't know it. <laughs> you know? So often the experience of death is the fear of it, or the seeing of it, or the worrying about it. That's, that's what it's about. You know? So the deathless, clearly the deathless, when the Buddha taught the deathless, well, he, then he died, didn't he? Well, body changed from being mobile to decomposing. But if, so yeah, that happened. Did he experience that sense of, oh no, it's going, it's going on, I don't know what's happening. My goodness, this is it. No, I don't think so. So therefore, that, that's, that's the death that can be cured. He said, I got to the end of death got to the end of birth and death, is it got to the end of that psychological agitation of things are breaking up, I'm losing it, I'm going somewhere, I'm, 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 you know, he's got to the end of that. And conditions are changing, conditions are changing, consciousness is changing, like it always was. You know, so that's the end of death. While there's this everything's functioning, you know, I can ask the fingers to move, they'll move. I can breathe, I can sort of see things, you know, generally, you know, I, 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 it's all there. So yeah, I can talk, but the real test is when, when bits aren't there. That's when you know you've done your homework. And meanwhile, while we've got this, let's not just pay tiddlywinks with it, <laughs> it's, it's quite a valuable piece of kit. <laughs> that can support strong uh, faculties in the heart, strong qualities. This life, we've got the chance to be generous and compassionate and loving. You can't do that when you're dead. <laughs> do it now. <laughs> that's, that's what life's about. Birth is just, death is just that. But life is not, is not birth and death. Life is the fullness of responsive awareness, you know, to this experience. So that's going to be goodwill, compassion, generosity, modesty, non-abusiveness, non-domination, non-looking down upon, non-condemning, non-righteousness, just don't need that. Don't need those things that separate us. We need, we need those qualities that help to relieve this separative condition. Because this separative condition, you're stuck in that. When you die, when the die comes, you die separate. And then, you know, the whole, but if you don't die separate, if the body, you don't die separated, then you're not in that death, death syndrome, death experience. Yeah. To me, it's always important to, sometime of the day, generally, you know, for one reason or another, I do it mostly end of the day when the functioning ceased. When functioning ceases, as it will do, increasingly, as life as this thing goes on, any regrets? 
deal with it now. Any grudges, deal with it now. Hmm? Any gratitude, bring it forth now. <laughs> Any aspirations, bring it forth now. That's what I want to go out with, saying thank you. <laughs> Can thoughts arise just randomly? Is this an interesting question for contemplating in my meditation? All things arise dependent on causes and conditions. But conditions are not necessarily the same as causes. So, for example, if we have water, that's a condition for ice, but water doesn't automatically create ice. Right? It's a condition that supports ice, but ice also needs a reduction in temperature. So you have a root condition. So the root condition of the mind consciousness is thinking. You know, that's its basic condition. So it will always tend to think. <laughs> that's what it's supposed to do. <laughs> now, the specific nature of what you think could be either just because of, you know, something happens ex on the external domain, you know, hey, somebody says hello, or whatever you think, or it could be something happens on the internal domain, you know, like there's something's, something in the heart is disturbed, right? There's a, there's a memory, or there's a hope, or there's a wish, or there's something happens, so that's a condition that will come forth into thought. That's okay. Um, that's okay. Mm. So one shouldn't try to stop thought. Because sometimes, you know, thought can be various, thought can be distractive thought, which is actually getting you away from dealing with what's important. It's just, and if, the, if the thing is just, just sheer distraction, what am I trying to get away from? What's it trying to get away from? It's trying to get away from some sense of uh, absence, depletion, uncomfortable feeling, so let's distract. That's very common. You know, let's switch on something rather than deal with this. Yeah. So that could be the cause, that could be the, so the thought may be just based upon a distraction condition, distraction motivation. Agree, thought based, so we need to know that. What's all that's going on then? What's happening here? Where does this, where's the agent? Where's this come from? Underneath all that, because everything's going out. out just, it doesn't come from. Now, most of the mind think, oh, it's me, I'm thinking. I'm thinking, no, that's where the ignorance comes in. Me is not thinking. The agent of thought is feeling. So what's the feeling? Are you comfortable? No, no, I'm not comfortable. Happy? No, I'm not happy. Ah. Now what's getting in the way of being happy? Ah, just press, press, uh, struggle. Uh, now we, then you start to enter the real territory of the heart. So you want to actually explore thinking. Now it could be a thinking, you know, of a grudge. So-and-so didn't pay this, I did all that, and did it, he didn't help me, and something rotten, so-and-so he is. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Let's get back to that, what's happening here? Well, ill will, isn't it? <laughs> or feeling cheated, or I've been made look like an idiot. 
no, I haven't been made look like an idiot. <laughs> the heart has that impression of feeling, experiencing being dismissed or put down or abused. What's the remedy? Compassion. So some of the, so if you trace your thought back to the feeling, then you know there's a sense of being able to deal with the real underlying conditions and causes that it's coming from. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, in many people in meditation say, well, let's just try to reduce the amount because there's so much. So let's, you know, that's true enough. So let's just bring in a main aim is to just be here in this body. Not to, no, aim isn't to think. The aim is to be in this body. Now, if thought starts coming up, it could mean there's something you need to deal with. But really, it's got to be dealt with here. Regarding forgiveness, you seem to be saying that if someone cheats us, we forgive them and trust them again. Just forgive them and move on? I think, I think it's perhaps, um, if I said that, it's sort of not a bad way of expressing it, but it's not very accurate. Um, that's what happens. But the premise, the beginning of it is don't forgive the person, just accept the feeling and work with the feeling uh, and undo the psychology. No, you know, I refuse to be a victim, to be betrayed. I get a sense of that's, that's what it felt like, but actually I'm here. I'm, you know, re-establish one's sense of dignity and, and clarity and whatever anybody else does, I do this, I do that, I don't do this, and I don't do that. So that's fine with me. Nobody can take that away from me. Once that's established, we can feel these bruises and cuts that occur with a sense of, okay, well, you know, that hurt, that was painful, just open around that. Takes your time. Let the feeling move through. And then we get a sense of, Everybody gets this. It's important to bring that in. You're not the only one. <laughs> and then if we come to that, we're in a space where we've established ourselves in, the, in that proper balance. Yeah, because we're not pushed forward, we're not pushed back. We don't seek revenge, we don't cow, we don't dismiss, we don't buy into it. Just that was that. And then from there, it's quite easy to say, well, you know, if that person did an act, did act, in the, act in that way, that's their business. I hope they learn from it. <laughs> may they be better, may they be well. Yeah. And of course, if you're in close relationship with somebody, it could be a time to, in that place, you might want to actually talk about it without trying to you know, attack or accuse or rights and wrongs, just uh, just perhaps they don't even know they're doing it. That's sometimes the case. <laughs> you know, people get set in, in abusive patterns without even knowing it. They get into kind of domination paradigms where they don't even realise it. It's so normal they don't realise they're doing it. I know a few. <laughs> have to remind it occasionally, gently. Oh, really? Yes.
because we get we get filled with ourself. You see, we get filled with ourself and our self perspectives, and then oh, do this is right. You don't really receive other people very well. We've got so much in our own stuff. You don't, you're like a bull in a china shop. Not you, but one is like a, just crashing around. And oh, what's the problem with her? <laughs> insensitive and that's that's a human condition for you there's a sense of compassion for the behavior now remember a person's not purely that one behavior they're, they're many strands many strands of behaviors many strands so we don't really know why she did or didn't do that it could be she was experiencing threat, abuse, chaos, or whatever, so it just burst out. You don't really know. But so it's, you just recognize everything arises because of causes and conditions. He acted like that because of his causes and conditions, and so on and so on and so on. Uh, where does it end? It ends. I find that in trying to live more for the direct truth, Many of my interactions and conversations, or what I do at work, seems to be just abstractions and distractions. My desire to live in that truth is causing me to avoid people who don't have this motivation. What can you advise, please? Well, yeah, I, I understand, I sympathize with that. That's the social conditioning. Social conditioning is of that nature. Uh, and so, you know, I think a, a wise be it, wise person, you know, how much of that do you want to participate in? Because you know, it becomes like a, a, a constant mirage. <laughs> so, yeah, you kind of think you participate in it to the extent to which is um, necessary, suitable, and uh, you disengage when you when you need to. And in the midst of it, when it's happening, you stay in your you stay in your body. You stay you stay in balance. And if you stay in balance, which is not rejecting or accepting so where people are saying things, doing things, yeah, 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 you know and you listen to the tone, tonalities of it and there's this sense of she's happy, he's chatty, um, she's a bit stressed he feels he's got a very important job to do you know, whatever it is, and there's senses of these emotional tones and receptive to that yeah. Maintain your own balance. What you might find, surprisingly enough, is that sometimes in the course of a day, in the midst of all that, you can say one or two things come up that you say, that people go, what? Oh, oh, thank you. <laughs> it goes through. Or people notice that you're not doing the stuff, but you're also not shutting them out. So that's inviting, you know, if you're not actually 
shutting them out, but also you're not participating in all that is going on, then it's likely or possible that somebody's going to know, well, so what's happening for you then? You know, because the, that quality of balance and openness is, is attractive. It's attractive in its own right. It's attractive. So then you can say, then you're teaching Dharma. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I remember this, uh, uh, this Tibetan monk, Chimi Rinpoche, used to work in a hospital as a Buddhist chaplain, you see. And there was, uh, there was a, I think a Catholic chaplain was also working in the hospital and he was going around and talking to people and how they're doing and what is going on for them. You know, he talked to them, you know, they talked to them about Jesus and opening up to Jesus and, you know, bringing the Lord into their life and all that, and they'd sit there, you know, they weren't really getting it. And so um, he's trying best he would to bring bring his beliefs to these people, you know, because they were in a state of stress, he was trying to help them out. And um, so he was doing his teaching, he, he saw this guy in robes, well, who's a Buddhist? So he starts, well, you know, Jesus is this, you turn him, please come into your life, invite the Lord, train your life. Hmm. Hmm. He kept on he, until he finished, and he kind of went away happy. And he said, "Well, to the Tibetan monk, why didn't you teach him any Buddhism? I just did. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I do when I go to the to sick people. They go, oh, no, and he's going, mm-hmm. oh yes, oh, mm. <laughs> teaching Buddhism directly." <laughs> So that's the way you teach it, just by being it. Be, be the Dharma, it, it comes out for those who can hear it. So if you find the balance, something in us, all of us longs for it. We long for that. We may not have words for it, we long for that. If you kind of get a sense of that's there. So what's happening for you, you know? I'm just listening. <laughs> to what? To whatever arises. <laughs> well, and that, so it's a tonal change, you know, from the do this, don't do that. You know, shit, take to another level. You said that thoughts always arise from feelings. Is that really true? Or is the heart there to try and sort them out? Feeling is is a basis that you can detect. The basis you can detect. So feeling, it's a huge range. Uh, subtle, strong, painful, unpleasant. Mm. So often, say you know, thinking comes up when the feeling is sort of wavery and not giving us an agreeable things at the moment, what should I be doing? What's happening today? It tries to provide that pleasant feeling of, I know what I'm doing. Because that's pleasant, rather than, uh, you know. So clarity is quite a pleasing experience. I know what I'm doing, got this, that and the other. Of course, it's an illusion. (laughs) 
But if we don't have that, we, oh, I don't feel very good. What's going on? I'm not happy. And so it's not just that something's bothering me. It's the overall state of the, the citta in its unawakened state seeks coherence. It seeks to become coherent and stabilized. And so anything that takes it out of that is uncomfortable. We can feel socially embarrassed, for example. I feel a bit awkward, a bit funny, a bit anxious, socially embarrassed because I don't quite know what I'm supposed to say or do. Nobody's bothering me, but just I don't know where I am in all this. So I've got this fundamental anxiety and that unpleasant. So I start to think of things, how are you doing? What's happening? This kind of stuff goes on. <laughs> think it's hard to say. <laughs> so you look at the root of that. Are you sure you need to do it? Are you sure that's going to do it? Could it just deal with the anxiety instead? See what I mean? So the citta seeks coherence. Uh, That's called becoming. Takes on a form, a shape. Mm. Um, It feels, um, it feeds on energy. So purpose is great. I've got a real purpose and aim. Yeah, that's it. I've got no purpose. Well, life's useless, waste of time, unhappy feeling. But you realize how much purpose goes berserk? You know, it, it, it sort of shoots us off. Too much. Huh? Too much. Too much purpose and not enough uh, no no gears. <laughs> Can you say more about the nature of time as an experience, please? So if we actually get a feeling for it as an experience, what does time mean to you? It can mean a range of things. Generally not enough time. Or does too much time, bored, stiff. Not enough time, under pressure. Time's on my hands. Mm-hmm. I've got to get somewhere on time. Yeah. Time is passing. Oh dear. I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting my time, you know. So these these references are to what? They're referring to particular energies in the nervous system of anxiety, apprehension, uh, desire, uh, you know. So then that 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 animated experience, emotionally animated experience, is then organised by the mind into past, present and future, future what I will become, so that gives me the push, Um, what I have become gives me the sense of having a foundation, the present is just the launching pad for the future, right, so that sets up a structure for the functioning to occur in, normally of course when social creatures, I'll see you tomorrow at eight, that's quite meaningful as a series of symbols and concepts, Right? Actually, it won't happen. What happens is I'll, I'll meet you in a certain condition round about eight o'clock, according to certain time zones. <laughs> but who I am will have changed by them and who you are will have changed by them. And eight o'clock is really dependent on the kind of what 
the phone is on, the clock is saying. So it's all pretty relative. Mm. But it's one of the structurings that get created in accordance with the phenomenon called becoming. Bhava is the word in it, becoming, bhava, becoming. Becoming is a particular energy, I suppose, simply speaking, which is to do with maintaining continuity. Maintaining continuity, maintaining a consistent shape, pattern, pathway, maintaining continuity, maintaining continuity. So that, that's a particular function, program, drive, energy that occurs. Mm. So then that maintaining continuity, the world of a second ago and two seconds time, that arises, and then the mind has got a track to move down. And that track is called time. Now actually, in outer reality, we can't really know what will happen in the next second. What thought will arise, what feeling will arise, what we don't know. We couldn't actually really all agree upon what happened one second ago. And yet we look on the clock, it'll tell us. But that's not what happened. We can't really predict what will happen in the next hour. So that state of utter uncertainty is very difficult for a functioning being to operate within. So we construct this construction called time and becoming is established. Hmm? So, for example, a very example in memory, does it happen now or when? When you have a memory. You have a memory, so that's five years ago. That's happening now, isn't it? And if you really study and compare memories with other people, no, it wasn't like that. No, it was Tuesday. No, no, no. No, it was May. No, it wasn't. No, it was Susan. No, it was Jill. <laughs> that's funny. And every time you remember something, every time that action room, it gets distorted. It's like a, like a tomato. Every time you pick it up, you, you distort it, squash it. So you tend to bring out the juicier bits or the sharper bits, and the other bits fade away. You know? So we're left with the kind of... A memory is really a, a kind of a cryptogram of what was funny or poignant or... And the rest of it drops away. We don't remember the bits, the rest of it. We only remember this pithy bit. So it's, a, it's not really an accurate record of time. Time, therefore, is really illusory. Illusory construction. Yeah. What will pop up next in your mind? <laughs> Where did it come from? Where does it go to? So what happens is, I, I thought that, I'm thinking this and I will think that I, I, that's, that's the capsule that we put becoming in, this thing called I. I was, I am, I will be. That links it all up. Right? That acts as the case that becoming can becoming forms that I package to put all these 
experience within to give it a sense of certainty. I really did, I really didn't, I really will. And yet, you sure? And did you think that, or was it just the thought popped up? Yeah. Did you say that? Or was it just you remembering something else somebody said? I can't remember what I said three minutes ago. I know what I mean, but I couldn't tell you the exact language. Mm. Without a strong act of will to write things down. So where's this continuing I? It's an illusion. It's not just an illusion, it's uh, painful. Because it locks in all the painful memories. And it knows one day it will die. And it doesn't like that. So, but without that, if that's, we don't, if that's not planted, coming. And what you might, as a meditator, what you might notice is that if these kind of what they call bardos, which you get that moment when you're doing something, it pauses and stops and then it's and then the next thing. It's this kind of tiny little moment between this thing and the next thing. You know, between this thing arising and this thing arising. Mm. Mm. Uh, what's that? Uh, that's mm. that's an important practice to, to cultivate those micro pauses where there's a flurry to get something known or something in place or something fixed or something clarified. No, no, don't just linger in that swirling, let it settle. And that's um, the way in which one is to filter out the compulsions to become. Becoming is a kind of construction that occurs, but it also becomes a compulsion. I must become something better than I am. I must become wiser than I am. Mustn't I? If I became clear enough, I might become enlightened at the end of it. I might become, I should become after all these years, I better become something. <laughs> there isn't. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> so we get that one of those, who's going to become anything? Just tell me that. Find who that is. Find the one who's going to become, who is something and is going to become something. You find that, who that is. It's, um, it's, me, it's me, yeah, but who's that? Well, it's, um, I mean, you really should, shouldn't you? I mean, they say you should, after all, everybody says you should, yeah, but what do you, what's happened? Who's that? Well, I don't know, but you know, you better get on with it because after all the time's passing, yeah, 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 but I know that, I know the story, but I know the, the drive, but who, just who is it? Uh, <laughs> so we can't find who it is. <laughs> How are going to make them become something if you don't even know what they are? <laughs> so instead of following those 
those those aims and impressions just what's the, what does that feel like that sense of I should become something I'm sure we all have that sometime or another what's it feel like oh I think this is called anxiety oh yeah deal with it this is called worry deal with it yeah. this is called regret deal with it yeah. this is called self-definition deal with it don't buy into it. That's that's the way out of becoming. That's the way out of time. We've got about half an hour left to do this. <laughs> Hurry up. <laughs> any more questions, comments? I'm wondering where collective consciousness fits into this and the kind of images that you might get in dreams or coming from a deeper place. What's your advice, please? So you're talking about, like this is a Jungian phrase, isn't it? Collective unconscious, where you're picking up images that are held perhaps in a culture or a very archetypal stuff, you know, that people have experienced. Yeah, that's that's another level of chitta, another level of the imaginal level, imaging level, and again you can you can kind of read those because it's true. There's no such thing. Consciousness is not an individual experience. It creates an individual, but it's not an individual. It's always arising, mutually dependent. You know, on sight, sound, touch, thought, contact, memory. It's always so it's always mutually conditioned and many factors so there's no such thing as an individual consciousness and if you're kind of open into that you might find there are certain primary movements of fear dread joy wonder sacredness rapture you know some of these are quite angelic some of them are monstrous some of them are, you know, so they just can't contemplate them mm. Some of them may have uh, cultural, cultural stereotypes, cultural, cultural forms. You know, Mother Mary or Guru Rinpoche, depending what culture you're in. Uh, I suppose the, because uh, anything of that imagined level also is certainly it's kind of fascinating. So I wouldn't recommend getting fascinated by it, but trying to go to the felt impression that it carries for you. It's all part of chitta. It's all there in the in the in the mix. And as you say, there can be karmic configurations around that. It's dependent. Karmic really means dependent upon causes and conditions. Achan, we all have things that we have to plan for in the future. Can we do so and avoid the pitfalls of becoming that I hear you talking about? On the functioning level, you're always becoming. That's the functioning level of it. So, on that level of experience, then the sense is, well, let's try to become something good <laughs> rather than something crazy. Uh, but I suppose there the uh, important thing is not about, you know, uh, about like, let's sort of move towards the direction of goodness and see what possible doors open. Now, maybe I'm going to be a brain surgeon, but it may be that you get so far and then, sorry, it's not for me. Instead, I'll become a therapist or something. You know, I want to do good. So, the important thing is with becoming, 
you know, it's, it's to not get too uh, fixed and inked in on the results. Keep cultivating the proper source, moderating the source of the energy. So it's it's steady, it's it's authentic, it's not under pressure, it's not counterfeit, it's authentic. Uh, my heart lifts with that, uh, and that's good enough. Now the results, I can't say, because it could be the case that I just don't have the smarts to become a brain surgeon. Uh, could be the case, but so, okay, so I don't get too fixed on the end results. Just keep that quality of the rising, aspiring heart, and then we'll see, see what seems to line up, you know, in, in, when you're in that mode, what comes into the crosshairs. Regarding memories, some people have to deal with very challenging childhood traumas. Some people deal even with suicidal thoughts. Are there ways that we can use Buddhist practice or people like yourself to deal with such things? How do we know when to seek external help? Yeah, you want to enter into the animate animate field so that it's, you know, we could say conventionally speaking in oneself or through the medium of another, basically you're getting, your heart is getting the support, the supportive energy is coming in. Now it could be that uh, in this very embodied condition we can find enough patience and information and a bit of guidance we can work it out. It could be that it's too difficult to work out so we need some counselling or somebody to lead us through it or you know medication even. Those are all, none of that's against Buddhism, it's all skillful means. Uh, the most important thing is to not take it personally. <laughs> That's the Buddhist bit. <laughs> just, you know, that's what happened. This is the results. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, when it's very locked, you see, when things lock, they do become personal. There's no doubt about it. Huh? When it gets locked, it becomes personal. That's what the person is is the series of locks. Some of them aren't that painful, but they're the, I am always this, I'm never that, bits. I'm my job, I'm my identity, I'm my gender, I'm my da-da-da-da-da, that's it. Um, no. <laughs> you know, so that, that becomes the person. Now that can be okay, just functioning, you know, I'm an English man, whatever that means. <laughs> But uh, there's no real intensity around that. But when it gets to, you know, I'm a neurotic person with anxiety, <laughs> anxiety issues, then it becomes a little more, you know, fragile and, and potent. So therefore, I didn't really need to, to uh, come out, you know, deal with that, work with that. There's no, no use in that, no skill in that. And so anything that helps, you, helps one out of it is, uh, is uh, valuable. You can't do all this just in sitting meditation. You can't do this in sitting meditation. Not all of it. Sitting meditation is a good kind of gathering point. This is why, you know, we look at the Buddhist path, there's things like uh, service, there's generosity, there's practicing virtue, there's helping other people. There's a whole kind of range of cultures that all will deal, and are very appropriate to deal with particular issues around self and other, relational field, and the, the, right, the, right, the right 
kind of intentions to, when you're into the social and relational field, which is not to, I am this, you are that, but how are we, you know, <laughs> in a nutshell. Uh, and so that, that has not to be thought, but actually worked out with kindness, generosity, sharing, and all that kind of stuff. That's not, that's not lightweight, that's powerful. And uh, also there means the humility to say, I need some help. You know, which some of us find rather difficult to do. You know, because I should be able to keep, I should be able to deal with my own stuff. Well, that's a massive ego delusion. <laughs> you know, sometimes it works out the way, sometimes it doesn't. I need some help. You know, and uh, sometimes it's very difficult to say because that kind of little bit of pride. Um, oh, I do need help. I'm grateful for that. Uh, and we recognize we're in a realm where, whether we know it or not, whether we accept it or not, all of us need help. And we should not consider that some sign that I'm pathetic. We all need help. Let's see how we can do it. And then it's joyful and it's, you know, no pretense, no fake images, no guilt, no sense of inadequacy, just this is what we're in. We all need some support and we can do it with each other. Sometimes you just can't do it on your own. Hmm. Yeah? You know? If you're one drunk, you're falling over the place. You've got three drunks, they help to hold each other up. <laughs> That's not very skillful, is it? <laughs> is the teaching of no satisfaction or suffering more than there's no permanent satisfaction? Is there something deeper as well to consider? Well... You know, I'm, we, we have to live with translations which are doing the best they can to give us single words. Um, and so dukkha, originally translated suffering, yeah, and certainly that's, yeah. But on a, on a subtle level it means nothing's ever completed. Nothing's ever tidied up. The loose ends aren't all, nothing ever properly comes to a final precise conclusion. It's always you know, on to the next thing. So that's part of the quality of impermanence. It doesn't mean just the impermanent, it means nothing has any substance to really crystallize. It's all just clouds. Therefore it can't finalize and yet there is some urge to get it nailed down because then I will be a solid entity who's got it together, you know. And I, that's it, I've done it. That, so there's where the self comes in. From the inability to, to really accept and understand the ramifications of dukkha. And dukkha arises from the understanding or the non-understanding of, of what anicca means. Everything is just wave formations. They have no, no crystalline experience. Yeah. So then nothing ever completes. Now, if that's the case, you know, as we find like with you know with quantum, where they say you can't actually measure anything anymore, 
because your measurement always messes up what you're measuring. So nothing can be finally be known, only rough estimations of how things happen. We can't find any fundamental reality. So, <laughs> but then that really grates upon something that grates upon becoming which wants to aim for that illusory pot of gold at the end of the illusory rainbow there isn't one so that's where it becomes when dukkha is not understood it becomes suffering when it is understood it becomes the doorway to, to transcendence Just oh that's that don't have to, can't, not going to. It's never going to get that way. Oh. And what I can do is moderate the energies that are happening now. Yeah. Let's turn them in a skillful way. There's no end result to all this. There's no end to all this. But let's make the ride as smooth as possible. <laughs> yeah. And that will tend to mean that any, anything that wants to grab and finalize, no, you can't do that. You've got to keep on the, on the wave. So it tends, by that way, it tends to disrupt that grasping upadana which forms up the becoming self. How important do you think it is to turn towards our own suffering? In my experience, it seems like the more I turn towards my own suffering, the more compassion I have for other people. Sounds good. It's the first noble truth. Uh, it's a sense of tuning into it without getting obsessed with it. So tuning in is not, I am such an unhappy person, but oh, there's a lot of stress in here. And that's probably the same for everybody. Then we pick up the characteristic without claiming it to be a person. And so there's that. And remember also there's a cessation of, <laughs> don't forget that. Mm-hmm. So suffering, dukkha is both a characteristic of conditioned experience, which is just the way it is. It's not going to be any other way. But it's also, when, when it's grasped at, it becomes, I am suffering. Yeah. So if we can let it be this kind of slightly untidy stuff, then you know, there's some sense of, of um, not getting the anguish over it. And compassion is a is a suitable response when this manifests as uh, experience in animate creatures. Now, if we see a car falling apart, we probably don't feel a great sense of compassion. Um, but if we see a dog falling apart, we do. So it depends how that characteristic is, where it lands. Okay, let's. Um, stop talking <laughs> and now's the time we'll be coming into direct practice <laughs>